Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International, and I'm Kathy Bird. We are live streaming on Jolt Radio from Miami, Florida. Fresh Art International is a radio show and a podcast that you can listen to anytime you like, anywhere you go for podcasts. We spark conversations about contemporary art, design, and film with culture makers from around the world. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to individuals from Miami's creative community who share my passion for public art. And we are all involved in the international art scene, and each of us loves calling Miami home at the same time that we're involved all over the place, and we were just talking about that. With me in the studio are curators, Claire Burkel. Hi. Dina Mitrani. Hi. Rosario Marquardt. And, Ro- and Roberta Behar. Hi. The last two, they're part of the R&R Studios based here in Miami, and you'll hear a lot more from them later in the show. I also want to say that during the show, we'll be sharing a conversation I recorded in her home with a local collector who is key to this conversation, Christine Taplin, also known as Cricket. Cricket and her husband, Martin Taplin, also known as Marty, once owned the legendary Sagamore Hotel on Miami Beach, and you will hear some fantastic stories from there today. This is not the first time we've talked about public art Art in the public realm is something that I'm very interested in, making opportunities, creating opportunities for people to encounter art outside institutional settings and buildings, and that's one reason I'm here today with Fresh Art International, because it's another point of access to art for people that wouldn't naturally walk into a gallery or a museum. Last year, we introduced the temporary art projects of the underline that were brought to Metro Rail Stops with support from Miami-Dade County's Art and Public Places program. We'll be talking more about that as well. And we talked about the Miami Foundation's Public Space Challenge. It's a grant designed to encourage locals to activate public space in their community. And guess what? I found out it was almost exactly this time last year when we had a show about the Public Space Challenge. And the submission period for 2018 opens in two weeks, April 4th. So I'm able to announce that here on the air, that with encouragement for those listening to think about activating the public space in their neighborhoods. To give you an idea of what you could be doing in your neighborhood or in an area of town that you pass through every day, I want to share with you a conversation I had here in the studio with Deja Carrington. She was a 2016 Public Space Challenge winner, and she called into the show to describe her project. You'll find public art programs in cities around the world, and in New York, they're formalized like the Public Art Fund. In Germany, there's a citywide public art project that takes place every 10 years that takes over the whole city, Miami Beach has art in public spaces, and so does Miami-Dade. But what can go missing from this conversation about public space is the community connection 
the grassroots efforts to invite creative public space ideas from residents is what we're here to talk about today. And that takes shape in Miami right now through the public space challenge of the Miami Foundation. I'm excited to welcome guests involved in encouraging and creating cultural interventions in public spaces in greater Miami in response to that challenge. DJ Carrington is calling in. Good morning. Hi. Kathy. Hi. Welcome. How are you? Welcome to the show. I am so happy that you are able to explain to us what drew you to that particular idea as a public space challenge response. Well, it's funny how we think about public space. I think often there's this idea that it has to be a park or a bench or um, a public facility. But in this instance, um, and at the time, I was working a lot with primary projects, and their gallery was located right near the Freedom Tower, which, if you're from Miami, you know has a direct line of sight to the Intercontinental Building. So every time I would drive home from the gallery and across the bridge to where I live in Miami Beach, I just felt like I would see the building and it really became part of my public view. It basically became part of the skyline for me. And that's when I guess the ideas started brewing because I kept on thinking, you know, if this is going to be a beacon for Miami, if this is really our light tower, this thing that grounds us and that is that grounds the identity of downtown Miami, which, as we know, is just so active with the Cross Museum opening in a month and with Pam and again with, you know, the Freedom Tower and MDC's programming, I felt like there might be some opportunity around that building to make it more in line with this arts and cultural statement that we're making here in the city. So you gave it a name, Newt, Miami. Let's talk about where that came from. So, you know, it's when we think about um, how color and light and sound can be used, and in this instance, the building already had a few key architectural elements that were just incredible, mainly the digital LEDs across the 19 stories of the building. So we knew we wanted to use light as one of our mediums, but we felt like we needed to give it more access um, or we needed to give more people access to understanding or to connecting with the building. So it just couldn't be a cool light pattern that would happen on the building. And with my partner, who's a composer, we felt like a musical component um, could be really interesting, something that people can access on their phones so that as they're seeing a light pattern, um, it felt very much like a story or a visual narrative, much in the way that Norman McLaren or some of the great animators have done. But... Um, but play to a tune of an original composition. And that's where the idea of synesthesia really came in for us. And Isaac Newton had this idea that every color on the rainbow spectrum corresponded to a note on the musical scale. So we really just did some matching. And the idea is that somebody could be looking um, at the building from uh, downtown Miami, from Biscayne Bay, um, from Key Biscayne, or from Miami Beach, and really just see the pattern and listen to the pattern on their phone so that there was a total visual connection and audio connection. Good morning. Today we're on the air on Fresh Art International talking about public art. And you just heard DJ Carrington 
explaining NEWT, one of the temporary public space activations that was funded by the Knight Foundation. And there's a new opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks, April 4th. So if you were inspired by that and what you're about to hear today, I hope you'll think about your potential to get engaged in creating public art or opportunities to bring people together in public space. It's awesome when it happens. Today we're here to talk about public and private support for public art in Miami Beach and points north, south, and west (laughs) along South Florida's Atlantic coastline. And with me in the studio right now to talk about her work, next guest up is Claire Bruckel. Hi. Welcome. Thank Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm reading so much about you and knowing that you were born in South Africa. You curated your first project when you were 21 years old. See, I've been looking into you. Yeah, you have. Wow. (laughs) It's a long time Uh, ago. From Cape Town, you've curated projects in Cape Town, Miami, New York, Prague, Vienna, and San Salvador, which is where you have a regular gig. I do, yeah. I actually work for a program called YES, which is an exchange program with El Salvador, and I take art guests there about twice a year from around the world and introduce them to what's going on in a very dynamic art world there. I'm ready to go with you. Sure, come. You're welcome. Do a public (laughs) broadcast from El Salvador. That would be absolutely fantastic. It would be super fun. Mm. I've got a lot of things like that in the pipeline, and my first broadcast for Jolt Radio wasn't from Sao Paulo, from the Biennial Pavilion. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's a a really big field there, so I think we could probably even have it translated, so absolutely you would be welcome to come and we can have a a Spanish broadcast. Y hablo un poco en español también. Yo también. Nosotros hablamos, claro que sí. This project that we're here to talk about today is your Miami-based engagement with Unscripted Ball Harbor. Tell me what Unscripted is. So Unscripted Ball Harbor is the art program for the city of Ball Harbor. As some of you may know, Ball Harbor stretches exactly one mile long from 96th Street up to about 103rd, where the bridge goes over to Hallover Beach and is about three miles wide. The residents there are about 6,000 per year. And in summertime, we have about three because a lot of them are snowbirds. But we also have four hotels there as well. So our art program is both for the people who live in Bell Harbor, but also for guests who are coming to Miami. So our art program really tries to be very encompassing of those who live in Bell Harbor, but also really speak to what is going on in the art field at large. So we don't restrict ourselves. We really try and include a voice from basically around the world. And we have the amazing support of our mayor to invite the best of the best in the world to come to Bell Harbor. So we're incredibly proud of our program. It's small, but it's fierce. Yes. I mean, I'm thinking that it's a very, I would say, well-to-do neighborhood of Miami. So there is support for bringing in the best of the best. And that is a wonderful opportunity for locals that might not get to travel to see the work of those artists, to have them come here. Absolutely. And we do a lot of talks as well. So we've had amazing guests. Mark Dion came, Tanya Bruguera, Candide Sprites. We've really had people from around the world who are so important to the larger dialogue of what's going on. So we've been incredibly lucky to have them. Every year you work with different advisors. Ebony G. Patterson. Yeah, she's on our advisory team this year. She's absolutely phenomenal. She's actually doing a solo show at Pam this year, which we're very excited to see. I was just going to announce that. And Ebony was on my show in Sao Paulo, of all things, on my first show. Yeah. (laughs) 
She's a powerhouse. And, she is. And I think she's really important to our program as well because she's going to help us bring a much wider scope to what we're doing. We actually have one of our advisors actually in the studio with us today as well, who's on our advisory team last year, Dina Matrani, who was absolutely invaluable to helping us bring our photo shows to the beach path. So, Dina, your specialty is photography. Yes, has been for about 25 years now. I had studied art history, but in New York, I worked at a gallery that focused on Latin American photography and pre-Columbian art, and it brought so many things together for me. And when I opened the gallery here in Miami in 2008, many people asked me, well, why only photography? Why not just, you know, contemporary art gallery? And I thought, well, there aren't very many photo galleries in Miami, and I think when I opened my gallery, I was the only photography gallery in Miami. And so... It's been wonderful to bring that medium to the forefront and to create exhibitions that were by local artists, emerging artists, but also by collaborating with other galleries like Peter Fetterman Gallery in California, bringing historic photography exhibitions to Miami, which I think has been really appreciated. The venue in Ball Harbor for most of the exhibitions is a beach walk. That is correct. So our photo shows are along a beach walk which anybody can go to, and it stretches one mile long. So we get a lot of people who run, walk, bike along that specific path, and they get the chance to experience world-class photo shows during their day. I was surprised how many people actually use that path, and I get texts, messages all the time from folks who've been on that beach path and seen our shows. So it's a wonderful way to bring socially important exhibitions to I remember the one you had for Art Week 2017 was Carrie Schneider's Photographs of Women Reading. Mm -hmm. And wonderful opportunity for people to learn about the books Mm -hmm. and think about taking time to read, which... Never happens. Never happens. (laughs) And actually, for that specific show, what we did for the first time is we actually showed a close-up of each book alongside the show itself. And so people actually had the opportunity to read while they were seeing the show as well. Because if you think about the way Beach Path is used, people either walk it or they run it or they bike. And so you need to think about shows that have a different kind of speed. And so it was a really nice opportunity to engage with the show in a, a much more authentic way, I think. Right, and get an up-close look, a literary voyage that people were able to take. And you just opened a new project. We opened that show, gosh, at the beginning of this this month. We just did the talk on Sunday. I'm still tired, but it was absolutely fantastic. White, who's the photographer, was a phenomenal speaker, and we actually had a historian come and speak to us about a lot of these sites that are found in Barbados, Curaçao, Turks and Caicos, and many other places which are Jewish sites that have been and largely... some of the oldest ones. And some of the oldest ones in the Western Hemisphere, Western Hemisphere. That play into a very important historical context of how a lot of the actual Sephardic Jews moved through a lot of these places to come to the U.S. And so the show explores a lot of the sites that are found in less expected uh, sites. As early as the 1500s. Yeah, and you were involved in in bringing this one. Yeah, it was was really an amazing project. I had met Wyatt when he was a resident at the Fountainhead Residency, which Catherine Mikesell... Yeah, and she's actually the curator of the show as well, which was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, Yeah. and so we thought it would be a great venue to do this exhibition, and he just made his book, which is beautiful. 
And it was a wonderful talk mm -hmm. because the combination of why it's been working on this project for many years. Yeah, he's, he's, like been, working, years he's been working on it for about 10 years and he actually photographed these sites for around six years as yes. well. So he's really traveled. And yes. He mentioned during his talk that he needed to wait for funding to continue to travel to these sites to take the photographs. Yeah. And so that's why it took so Jamaica, long. But Barbados, he finally Tizani. did. And it was fascinating to see the images of the gravestones of the synagogues, of the ruins, and also hear from Devi, the historian, about the significance of the travels of the Jews from Spain and Portugal and how they the arrived to these Dutch isles and created their Jewish communities and then the significance on how they ended up coming to the U.S. It was just, it was fascinating. Very okay, cool. Well, he seems to have a presence in Miami lately, didn't he just have an exhibition? Yeah, he shows at the Yelin Gallery. Yelin Gallery, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. I might be looking forward to seeing that. I haven't had a chance to make my way up there, but I will. Absolutely. Well, you still have some, some time. The exhibition is up for the next few months until uh, June the 30th, so you still have an opportunity. Great. Well, you were describing to me that the setup for the photo exhibitions is mm -hmm. sort of a ready-made structure that allows you to change the exhibitions and spend your money on getting the best photography and concept and not building something every time, which has absolutely. got to be an advantage. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And we actually, I think it's also very important to say that these are not actual photographs. They're actually reprints of the work, but the opportunity in that lies in actually bringing an entire show to a space outdoors for not a huge amount of money, but then actually putting our resources into bringing guests down who can really talk about the shows in very significant ways. So... The idea is when you're doing public art, and we'll hear a lot more about that, you have to be thinking about the weather. And a very challenging project that you brought to Bell Harbor this year, too, is what I want to talk about next, which kind of motivated, sparked the whole show for me when mm -hmm. I was learning about the fact that you were bringing Robert Chambers' relief. A helicopter, yeah, uh, to, to land on the traffic circle in the middle of Bell Harbor. Uh, yes. On 96th Street. It literally is in the middle of the street. You can't miss it. The private life of that project, we're going to talk about with the collector that loaned you the work, Cricket mm. Taplin. But I also am just curious, the process, how mm. did you orchestrate this landing of a helicopter that I understand still operates, but that's it not does. how... You. It does, and Robert Chambers actually wanted us to try and start it, but I wasn't very sure that that would be a great idea because it has been sitting for a while and I didn't <laughs> want anything to catch on fire in the middle of Bar Harbor. But the process began, I've known the work for a long time. It was actually brought to the Sagamore Hotel in 2004, to the Taplin Hotel, which has, I have to say, been an absolute landmark in what's happened in Miami. And I admire them both so much for putting together an amazing amount of beautiful, beautiful art. And when the hotel closed, they actually moved the piece out of the hotel and it was sitting in storage for a while. And significantly, Cricket is very entrenched in what's happened in Bell Harbor. Her family is so much part of the story. Chris Taplin, who's her son, is actually on my group who approve all of my art programs. And Sol Taplin is one of the founders of Bell Harbor. Uh, and his plaque is actually on the site where the piece is. So there's such a kind of a significant reason why we should have had this work there. And then Robert as well has also been part of our program. And I think so much a part of what goes on in terms of art dialogue here. He's done significant work for a number of years. And he's just a phenomenal guy to work with, kind of like a mad scientist. So <laughs> right. it's actually great. 
So Robert is a sculptor. He does public artworks. He's a professor. Um, professor at FIU, engaged with young arts, yeah. just everywhere. And that's why he is not ever available on Wednesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he was unable to come led him to suggest I spark up a conversation with Cricket okay. Chaplin because she is the collector behind it. And I think that the Sagamore Hotel, when they bought it in 1999 on Miami Beach, the hotel came with a storied past. Mm -hmm. And they embellished and expanded the property and added a lot of their own stories. So let's listen to some of Cricket Taplin's stories about the legendary hotel. There was always a certain cachet about the Sagamore. And once we bought it, so many people said, we vacationed when we were kids at the Sagamore. Or we got married and we had our honeymoon at Sagamore. So Marty would say, well, if you got married and you had your honeymoon, then you're entitled to a free weekend at the Sagamore. It was all about just sharing such a... It wasn't a landmark. Yes. It just was very, very organic. It just happened so naturally. And it was a beautiful white hotel. I remember that the setting was white and cream colors, so elegant. Well, thank you. I read a description of you speaking about it as the hotel became a canvas for you. Exactly. But that was an accident because I'll tell you why. He was working very, very, very hard. He loved that hotel so much. He said, Cricket, I know where every screw, I know where everything is. And he was very passionate about it. So, here we are, coming up for our Basel, and Marty Margulies, Marty Taplin's best friend, said, Marty, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. The Art Basel's coming. Open the public spaces. I know you're not done with the rooms and everything, but finish two model rooms. And open the main space. We didn't even have furniture. We had nothing. So the first Star Basel was really, that was our debut. And then it got canceled because That's of right. the tragic 9-11. And people had already sent their work down. And so a group of people here in Miami said, no, we're, we're going to go forward. And Marty Taplin said, we're going to have a brunch at the Sagamore. I'm a <laughs> proud participant for several, several years in your Saturday morning art brunch. Yes. The Saturday at the Every end of Saturday. Art Basel, the reward for all of us doing all the hard work yeah. was to come and have breakfast at the Sagamore and experience your amazing collection. Thank you. Marty Taplin said to me, Cricket, what are we going to put on the walls? We have nothing. We don't even have furniture. And I said, you know what, Marty, maybe, maybe we could put our art collection on the wall just so that people don't see just white walls. And we did, and the public was thrilled. And it was a bold thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. 
And it elevated and made art accessible to everybody. Right, and the Sagamore became known as the Art Hotel. Exactly. And you became known as a trendsetter for, yes. for the art hotels that have popped exactly. up since. It was an opportunity that we had to work together and open our hearts. Also make art so accessible because to be able to walk into a hotel and nobody charges you, and you can go and you can look at the walls and see the beautiful art, you can read about it. I even actually put my art books there for a time, and we had it as a library. What do you remember introducing in that setting that no one had ever introduced before? Because I think you were one of the early adopters and collectors of video art. He loved all the videos, and he loved Tracy Moffat, and we had so many famous artists come and visit us and stay with us, and Yoko Ono was there. And I mean, people would want, somebody said to me, when I go to that hotel, I look at a collector here in Miami. He and his wife would go to the hotel and we would see artists that we didn't collect or we may not have heard of. But the work was good. And you saw the plaque on the wall. And we said, who the, if somebody said to me, Cricket, who do I go to in New York? Where did you get this piece? It was all there. It was open. Roxy Payne with the mushrooms over the front desk. Where would you see that? It was a win-win. Will Ryman, the swing, the Massimo Vitale, all the wonderful things that we had. You even had video art in the cabanas around the pool. Yes. That was another idea Marty had. Marty was a very creative guy, and he just enjoyed it. He loved hanging out in the pool and saying to people, what are you going to do? Maybe you should. And he would give them ideas. Okay, you should go to this restaurant. You should go. Don't forget to go to this event. Such and such is happening in Miami. You should make plans. And nobody knew he owned the hotel. He didn't say anything. He just loved talking to people and telling them where else they could go in Miami. And he just loved it. When I had a meeting with uh, Robert Chambers, and we were talking about the helicopter, purchasing the helicopter, of course, Marty was going to get that helicopter no matter what. He loved it. He loved it so much. And he and Robert would talk about hanging in the lobby. Off. No, I mean, they had some great conversations. Let's describe Robert's rotor relief. Well, it's magical. It's fun. It's brilliant. A working helicopter. helicopter. Actually, it was in Vietnam. Actually, it goes, imagine, 175 miles an hour. I can't, it's like, it looks like a little butterfly in, in Bell Harbor, where it is now, placed for almost a, a year. It'll be up until mid-November of 2018. It just looks so small. Where at the hotel, the way it was placed... It looks so big, but I'll tell you, it certainly stops traffic. It's surprising and it's an honor for our family to have this artwork placed in that public spot because my father-in-law was one of the founding people of Val Harbor. Where this is is called the Founder Circle. It's hard to say, oh, this is my favorite child or this is... 
This is exciting. It's exciting. He's a brilliant artist. I am remembering now the number of special projects you did at the Sagamore. And there's one in particular that I imagine was an amazing experience as you were there to witness. And it, right. it's Spencer Tunick's nude photographs right. with the hotel as the context, the setting. Yes. We met Spencer, and we were familiar with his work. He did his performance pieces, I think that would be the correct word for it, in the streets of New York and on bridges and stuff. And I don't know how he accomplished what he did, but he would get the shot and then he would get arrested, you know? And that was part of it. So I guess it was mostly, I don't know how he got people not to drive on the bridge. I don't know how he got people to do all the things. And there were hundreds or thousands of people. And but we're talking about an artist that stages nude photographs with thousands of people in the photograph. Right. And the fact that the Sagamore invited that, him. Yes. And that what he liked about the project was he wasn't going to get arrested. And, well, he liked many things about the project, but he stayed there. There was a whole crew of people, but it was private property with this very famous photographer. How many people were roaming around? How many nudes, nudes were roaming around? 800, and we had, you know, it was, it was a big, big, big deal because... People had to be notified that this particular artist is going to be here. We're going to be at your room and knock on your door. So please vacate your room. We'll make sure nothing gets stolen, but you got to go on the balcony. It was a very complicated situation and lots of fun and very community-oriented. People did things like I have a girlfriend and she just turned 50 and her husband left her and she was like, I'm gonna do this. You know, this is gonna change my life. I'm gonna move on. And she did. So she was one of the nudes in the photograph. Yes. And it was interesting. Some people just stayed nude all day for the rest of the day. It was very interesting. So there were photos in different places within the space, right? Exactly. The last show called The Money Shot was in the front lobby and they needed 500 bottles of champagne. And they all had a pop and go off at the same time. How and they fun did is it. that? How fun is that? Exactly. We had a good time. Sometimes when you put things out in the world, they come true. And you show how powerful you are because look what you built. It's amazing. Thank you. Wow, Cricket is quite the storyteller I promised and I delivered. She delivered. She's so inspiring and I couldn't have worked with a nicer, more amazing human being. She's really very special. Yeah, well the dreamy sound you heard around our conversation was Hiraki Sawa's Hidden Tree from 2007. It's this gorgeous, dreamy animation from her video collection. And Cricket has started sharing some of her collection 
locally, and the video collection, I learned, has gone to the Bass Museum on the beach. And several large-scale sculptures have gone to other Miami art museums. She is very attached to the relief, so I think she'll be hanging on to that. It's one of Marty's favorite pieces. Absolutely, and I think the piece itself is, is really, really incredible. I mean, it's an haute muscle duchamp where Robert James actually replaced the blades with a hypnotic disc, which he proclaims that if you actually had to start the piece, it would hypnotize every single person around it. So it's a really, really playful piece as well, and I think it fits incredibly well in the site. It really looks as if it just popped down in the middle of the founder's circle to drop off guests to either one of the hotels or the shops. It's really great. We've posted a number of photos of it online, and you'll see more when we archive this as a podcast. There'll be a full photo gallery that will show the work of everyone that's here in the room and a lot more of the Taplin collection, which is quite astounding. And I just heard while we were listening to Cricket that Claire has been in one of Spencer Tunick's photo shoots. <laughs> yeah, it was actually when I was uh, I was very young. I was about 21 and um, he was doing a shoot in Cape Town and I was a volunteer for the South African Center for Photography. It was actually a group of six of us. Not 800? Mm-hmm. Not, not, not 800. You didn't and get lost in the crowd. <laughs> totally. I, didn't, I couldn't get lost. And actually I wasn't supposed to be in it, but one of the people didn't pitch up. And so last minute I had to fill in. Oh. So I'm one of six people lying on a rock. You can't see my face. And I think at the time it was actually on the front page of the newspaper in Cape Town, and I was so scared that my mother would see it. But thank goodness you couldn't see my face. You could just see a very white, unsuntanned person. Uh, Backside. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great experience. Very fun. So until when can our listeners experience the work of the Robert Chambers. So Robert Chambers' Road of Relief is going to be up for the rest of the year. It's coming down on November the 15th. The Christmas tree and the menorah actually go up in its place. So it will be up till then. And we are so incredibly grateful to be able to show this work. And I think Christine Taplin really wants to share what she has. And I'm just so incredibly grateful to have worked with such an incredible and inspiring human being. That's why I wanted to include her in this conversation because she's made art collecting a mode of civic engagement. When she had that hotel, it was her mission to bring conversations, to bring art, to bring these crazy happenings, and to really engage almost as a museum might do, making it free and accessible for just the random experience, which is what we love about public art. The interior and exterior of her hotel became that kind of public art experience, which is pretty astounding. And I think her event each year during the art fair really brought together everybody from around the art world who would descend upon Miami and Vite to get in for her brunch. And -hmm. it was really kind of once a year where you would go to catch up with friends from around the Mm -hmm. world. And um, we really do miss that event. Mm -hmm. It's a a big event for sure. Yes, it was. We were all there. Mm -hmm. So now moving on to public artists in the room with us, the R&R studio people, and Dina Mitrani uh, was explaining how after years in the international art world and working in New York, Madrid, and Miami that you opened your own gallery, photography gallery. But what I want to talk about now is how you get involved as a curatorial consultant for public art projects. Well, it's kind of a nice story because it happened, I grew up with Robert Finvarb 
and his wife, Rochelle. And from what I remember, we were actually having a pizza on Lincoln Road and we bumped into each other. And Bobby said to me, hey, would you be able to help me with some art in a hotel that I'm doing in South Beach? And I said, well, of course. So that was the beginning of these projects that I've been involved with. They've done the Hyatt on South Beach, also the AC Marriott. And then the third project that I worked on with them was the hotel that just recently opened the residence in, the Sunny Isles Marriott. And it was an incredible project. That one was different than the others in the sense that there was a public art element. And when he said to me, yes, we need art in the rooms and the lobby, and but we also need to come up with a really important public art piece. And I immediately thought of Roberto Rosario, who we've also been friends for many years now. Many years. <laughs> and it was a natural and an obvious answer. We had an initial meeting in their studio, which was upstairs from my gallery. And I brought Rochelle and Bobby to their studio and they immediately fell in love with their work and they did their magic and came up with this incredible idea of actually incorporating the public art into the architecture of the building. So if you guys want to talk a little bit about how that happened. And that's really an important component of this before you start, just to set the stage for people that don't know about the Art in Public Places program that generates the desire and the requirement for new constructions right. to allow a percent for public art. Mm -hmm. And that is such a great program. It makes people think about incorporating art into the environment. And I think it's hugely important to shout out that it's an ordinance, but it's also an opportunity. Sure. And you two took full advantage of that opportunity. So, Yes, um, for us, uh, Bobby's and Rochelle's film bar project is a very important project. And uh, in part it is because when we first came to Miami many, many years ago, we actually lived in Collins Avenue. And because the project is in part, the project is located on Collins Avenue, it was a project that was kind of coming home project. It's the first project that we have done in our town, in the town that we live, Miami Beach. And in part because of that, uh, to do something in Sunny Isle on Collins Avenue has been um, really exciting. A public art project has three components, the curator, the patrons, and the artist. And in this case, I think the three legs of any public art project worked in sync with each other, as very seldom actually happens. Mm -hmm. The amazing thing about this project is that Bobby and Rochelle and Dina pushed us to do the best that we could. And why is that the case? Well, because it's often the case that we're asked to do something on the elevation of a building. And that could be really interesting and really exciting, et cetera, et cetera. But in this case, we came up with the idea of actually redoing, or doing rather, the elevation of the building on Collins Avenue. So the project is one with the architecture of the building. It is the architecture of the building on Collins Avenue. It's a very large project, about 2,100 square feet in facade dimensions. It's about 60, 70 feet by 30 feet tall. It's quite important. It's about three stories tall for you, you to it. have an idea. You can miss <laughs> it. But at the same time, it's a, project that is, it's a project that is located, for those of you who may not have been in Sanial, which is an exceptional part of town with fantastic 
80, 50, 60 story towers on the beach. And here we have a building that is on Collins Avenue, three, four stories high. So what we wanted to do was to somehow bring a gift to the city. And um, Rosario in particular thought of that this gift had to take the shape of flowers. Maybe you can say something well, in that regard. We, we work very often with flowers, but this was a great opportunity to push our ideas of how to work with flowers in such a big scale and to, with just a little move, because it's, it is very simple but very memorable, but change the character of the hotel, of the idea of going on vacations. You really feel like you are in such a different environment when you enter to the hotel. And I think it's these ideas that the flowers always make you smile and makes the... Their gifts, they're beautiful. Exactly, they're exactly. Nature's laughter, I've exactly, read. Exactly, exactly. So happy. we all relax and smile. They're a symbol of friendship. friendship. I don't know why, but it, uh, when I think of this project, I always think back of my mom telling me when I was a kid, Roberto, don't ever forget to shine your shoes. And if you don't know what to bring... To someone, you just do flowers and you will be fine. And the project is a little bit about that, is bringing an element of happiness, if you wish, to the life of the street. It is incredible because the building is one of the smallest on Collins Avenue, in that section of Collins Avenue, and yet is the one that everybody stops to take a picture of. It's known now as the, the Flower Hotel. It's really something wow. that they've told no, me. That, you know yeah. what I love about it is... I have to use the word elegant again because I look at it and it's your work is often so colorful. Right. And this is white. Yeah, yeah. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. I just kept looking at it and I'm trying to figure out why am I so drawn to this? It's mm -hmm. so simple but so well, our Iconic. work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our work always uh, tries to very much relate to the place. The color white has always played an important role in the architecture of Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, if we remember, for example, the impact that the Delano remodelation mm -hmm. by uh, Philip Stark had, all white, monochromatic kind of intervention. He kind of brought back an experience that uh, one can feel probably only in Miami Beach. It's kind of monochromatic surfaces that work taking advantage of the power of the light in a place like Miami, you know, the but, power uh, of the sun and the light. Uh, yeah. at the same time, it's part of the yeah. idea of Miami Beach, but also all our work always talk to the people, the regular people on the street. The flowers, like Roberto was explaining, is we call it emotional architecture. Our aim is to relate to the people and the people to feel that that piece is, was done for them, not just for us to show what we can do. So it's always relate to the place and also talks to the people. We like to think of public art as making a statement that ultimately can become personal, can become a kind of personal souvenir each one of us can take with him or her. We don't think of public art as this is our work. No, this is your work. This is the work of everyone that encounters the project in the realm of the city. At a time when a lot of the city has become privatized, we think that it's very, very important. These moments of wonder within the city are very, very important to make life more exciting and fun. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I just wanted to give a little bit of your backstory because I think it's really interesting and I hear you almost finishing each other's sentences and I think that's 
important to note that you've known each other since childhood <laughs> and that you studied architecture and then architecture and urban studies, you know, in Argentina and then in New York City. And you have a reputation for your practice that weaves together visual arts and architecture in the city, and you've received multiple awards for it. You've had these great opportunities. And let's just say your very first public art project in Miami was a giant M. Exactly. <laughs> Tell us about that one, Rosario. Well, that was very scary and challenging. It was our first outdoor piece. We work with Miami-Dade Art in Public Places. We couldn't believe, because we started the process, it took a long time, and suddenly the M was built. <laughs> and it's a 45-feet-tall M that stands for Miami, but also for Mother, for Mexico, for whatever you need to project on the project. So that's why we always say that you take ownership because it's maybe if your name is Mary, it stands for Mary or... <laughs> we had a very small budget. I mean, I have to add that the Miami-Dade Public Art Project is one of the oldest in the country and it's one of the... It's a super successful program, not only in Miami, but also around the country. I mean, a number of really important projects by Oldenburg, for instance, and his partner or you know they were also involved somehow in the project with the Cristo Islands they have been really really important they have been at the vanguard of public art around the country actually but we were very very lucky because at that time was was also the year that Miami was turning 100 and somehow we had all forgotten that the centennial anniversary of the city was coming up. So we have always thought of the M. You know, Miami is a very young, mm -hmm. super young mm -hmm. city, but it's also very ambitious. Like, it's like a small kid, like we all were, that we want to do everything here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> and we're always the best and the biggest and et cetera, et cetera. But we had very, very little money. So what can we do? Well, we were very, very lucky because the Hollywood sign doesn't have an M, and the Hollywood sign, for those of you who may not know, is 55 feet tall, each of the letters. So we were very, very lucky that the Hollywood sign doesn't have an M. So we decided to do the biggest M in the world, which is, <laughs> we like it because it's somehow funny, and to bring a smile in everyone's face is important, we think, but also because it belongs to a tradition that is very, very American, you know. One of the traditions that we discover in the States is the tradition of the colossal. When people used to arrive to America, first thing they saw was the Statue of Liberty, perhaps the biggest yeah. statue in the world. Mm. You know, the Empire State's building, the Chrysler building, the skyscrapers, but also the land, you know, the expanse of the prairie, the Grand Canyon, or the Hollywood sign. Well, we couldn't do the Chrysler building. We haven't done the Chrysler building yet, but we did the biggest M in the world, <laughs> and it belongs to Miami, not to us. It belongs to Miami. And because it's unfinished, it's only one letter, as Rosario was explaining, is somehow incomplete. And each of the persons looking at the M may complete it in the way that they need to, in mm. a way. No? Right. And one other colossal project you brought, by the way, was that living room that rose up in the, in design, the design district, district. right yeah. before Art Basel one year. And yeah. there's a palimpsest of it still there. Exactly. I want it to be there. I miss it. I love that beautiful. piece. And we have posted photos of that this week, and we'll continue to do so. But 
Yes, I that living that the, room is so cool. The living room still exists in our memories yes. because it was so iconic that uh, it's, it's part of the idea of Miami. So it is always present. What year did that go up? I think 2002, mm-hmm. Early on, the first, first year, year of Basel. The, year of yeah. Basel. Yeah. Exactly. the beginning of the whole exactly, sort of exactly. growth we, of we Miami's art world. Yeah. yeah, we should mention Craig, Craig no, Robbins. Because, yes, mm-hmm. let me say something. Yeah. Because talking about the public art, this is private developer or collector, but it's a public art done by a private owner like the hotel. So like Bobby's like film bar exactly, project in exactly. right. In I think that's really important. Craig has an amazing collection, and he has made public art a big yeah. element in the design district. And they actually have tours there now of the public art. They have a soloit on the corner mm-hmm. of Biscayne mm-hmm. and Thirty Eighth. Mm-hmm. I was like, that looks like soloit. Mm-hmm. One night before they had it lit, our signage, and I was yeah. I saw them so excited. It. Yeah, very cool. I mean, the important thing about the living room, the reason why we all remember it in a way, is because A, the image was so powerful. The image of the project, the formal presence of the project is so powerful and so distinct. But most importantly, perhaps, as Rosario was saying, it because it kind of projects a need that we all feel here in Miami, or perhaps a sense of possibilities. The possibility of a city, the living room is a kind of home turned inside out, about 42 feet tall, that was adorned, if you wish, with wallpaper that was, in fact, hand-painted. You know, it had a sofa, lamps, etc. So it it was a very surreal experience, the one of encountering an interior giant dollhouse, if you wish, that one was able to walk into, kind of Alice in Wonderland-like experience within this area of town that was in the process of an incredible transformation. Exactly. The design it was district. very different right. at, the at time. that time. It captures one's imagination, perhaps, because it projects the idea of Miami as an open city, as a city that is open to all. It's something that perhaps we miss in the city. It's something that perhaps is missing in the city. You know, when we have to go through gates and show cards here, there, and everywhere, when the possibilities of the tropical landscape are forgotten. The living room brings that opportunity back. It makes it present once again. Well, the last thing I want to talk about is you are about to be present at the Coachella Music and Art Festival on a return invitation. Your first project was Besame Mucho, this incredible billboard made out of 100,000 flowers. See? Uh-huh. Yep, flowers. And now, I don't know how much they can reveal to us. It's a secret. This giant... Something. Talk about monumental. <laughs> the most monumental ever, maybe, will be presented at Coachella, which opens in just two weeks. Yes. We are amazed to be going back again to Coachella. Of course, we cannot say what we are doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but again, can you give us a again, few key words? Well, what we can tell you is this: number one is that that the place is amazing. You know, the place happens in India, and in India, the place called India in California, and is uh, is this um, incredible place that. Paul Tollet has invented. And Paul Tollet is an amazing, amazing guy, you know, who puts these incredible festivals together. This year, for example, Beyonce and somebody that we know, David David Byrne, Byrne. you know, are joining forces together with many, many, many artists at seven stages. The place is amazing. 
and he and his artistic director, Paul Clement, and his assistant, I may add, Rafi Lerner, are an incredible team. So Rafi, Paul, and Paul, Paul T and Paul C, have allowed us for the second time, which is something unprecedented for Coachella, to bring us for the second time after two years to do another to do another project. The project, what we can say about the project is that life in America today, perhaps, is not as upbeat as it could be or it should be. So uh, we thought that it was important to bring an expression of hope to the festival. So what we can say is that it's a project that is a, it's a symbol, it's a landmark for the best traditions of America, I would say. An explosion of colors and light. It's an explosion. If you don't mind mind, mind me adding, one of my favorite works of all time is All You Need Is Love, which you can see in the Miami Miami Airport. Airport. It's probably the most photographed and talked about work, and it's so inspiring every time you fly back here. It's beautiful. wonderful. So what a great opportunity to think, anticipate, wonder, and be greatly excited to see what burst of color and light will come to Coachella. I would like to think that all art has a potential to make this sort of magic. And for those who are listening, if you're a real estate developer, a private collector, a hotel owner, just consider inviting opportunities to share art with the world. If you're an artist, think about how you can introduce your work in public space as a conversation or something to experience. Please tell us how we're doing on Fresh Art International Rate and review our Fresh Art International radio show and podcast on iTunes or anywhere you go to listen. We bring you conversations about creativity from around the world every Wednesday morning on Jolt Radio from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Our program is made with the support of listeners like you, and in a couple of weeks we'll be announcing our destinations for 2018. If you make a donation between now and May 5th, you'll be supporting this year's field expedition. And the Knight Foundation will double your investment in Fresh Art International. So go to freshartinternational.com and click on the red support button to give what you can. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's just been tremendous. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.